Good morning again and welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church this uh, Easter Sunday. Thank you for being here. Let me uh, begin by addressing our little theologians uh, here at Covenant. We have our children with us during uh, the uh, worship service. Worship is for them as well. Little theologians, good morning to you. Glad that you're here. I'd like for you to draw a picture for me as I preach of something in your house that is fragile. Something in your house that is fragile. This passage says that those who believe in Jesus are actually fragile. And they need Jesus to be patient and to be honest and to be powerful with them because they're fragile. So if you could do that for me, uh, I would love to uh, receive your art at the end of our service. Our passage this morning is from Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 44 through 48. It's printed there in your bulletin, but before we read, would you join me in prayer? Father, we ask that you'd be with us in the reading and the contemplating, the listening to and the applying of your word. We thank you for speaking to us. Would you use it as you see fit for your own namesake through the power of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God our Father. Amen. Again, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this story, so let me, let me be pretty uh, blatant. This story that we've just heard takes place on the Sunday of the resurrection. The two men, they leave the city of Jerusalem and they're walking and they're pondering. Jesus was crucified in that city and they're leaving the city now. This morning they have heard varying reports about what has been going on. And as they walk from the city, they are walking and pondering. Two men, two followers of Jesus, but not a part of the original eleven. And on this day of the resurrection, as these two men are walking out of the city of Jerusalem, some stranger joins them. Some stranger just kind of uh, draws near to them as they are walking. And interestingly enough, the stranger seems to know almost nothing about what happened that day. He's apparently a religious tourist, someone who was there for the festival and is now leaving the city of Jerusalem, but... Like most tourists, he knows very little about what's going on. 
or so it seems, but these uh, two disciples of Jesus, as they're walking, they uh, teach this stranger about some of the things that he seems to be missing. They teach this stranger about a, a man named Jesus, Jesus of, of Nazareth. That's what they say to this guy. And they say to this stranger that, he, that this Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, that he was mighty in word, and that he was mighty in deeds. And not only that, this Jesus of Nazareth was before God. That is, this Jesus of Nazareth seemed to have had some special relationship with God. He was before God, just as he was before all the people. And these two disciples, they keep uh, going on in their uh, education of the religious tourists. They teach him about the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem, and they say these religious leaders, they deliver Jesus of Nazareth to condemnation, even condemnation to death. And they meant it, because these religious leaders, they crucified him. The two disciples, they teach this religious tourist about Jesus and about the religious leaders, but they also teach this stranger about their own feelings. They say, we had hoped that this one, this Jesus of Nazareth, that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We really hope that. I wonder if the stranger could have sensed that in their eyes and heard it with their lips. They meant it. We put our hope in this one. But that hope seems to have been wasted because uh, these two disciples uh, continue to school the religious tourists and they say, we hoped for it, but it's been three days. Three days of death. It's been three days. And then kind of icing on the cake is they are educating this uh, tourist who's joined them in this walk from Jerusalem to the city or the village rather of Emmaus they say to the stranger that there were these women who were part of their crowd. These women were really one of us. They believed the same way that we did. And some of these women went to the tomb and they found that his body was missing. Isn't that curious? And not only did they say that his body was missing, they spoke about some kind of vision with angels and that those angels said that he was alive. But you know, right? You know. And they don't stop these disciples. They just keep walking to Emmaus and schooling the religious tourists. And they don't seem to recognize how remarkably contradictory uh, what they have said should be heard by a stranger. You had all of your hope in them. How'd the hope drain away? And it turns out the religious tourist who's walking with them, he's a pretty uh, extroverted kind of guy. Those of you who are introverts, you know what I'm talking about. It's the kind of guy, he just kind of speaks his mind. And this stranger, we don't even know his name, and he doesn't seem to even know their names. At least there hasn't been a proper introduction. He's just joined them on the walk to Emmaus. But the stranger's extroverted. He's punchy. He's opinionated. And, and, and skipping the introduction, the tourist, he says, you guys are foolish. Foolish? You're the one who doesn't know what's happened in this city. I've just told you everything. You're to call me foolish. 
And in fact, the stranger not only calls him foolish, the stranger says that they're so slow of heart to believe the prophets. Slow of heart to believe the prophets. And I want us to understand that these two disciples, they would be offended at this. Just to get the, the time frame uh, in your mind, the walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's like 24 minutes. It's not a long walk. And these guys, they had done their educational seminar. They, they've probably taken all the 10 minutes. And now the stranger talks. And this stranger, this uh, extrovert, this opinionated, punchy man, he also has some pretty good Old Testament skills. And he proceeds to say to the two disciples that it was necessary that the Messiah would suffer like this. Do you not know that? It was necessary. The Old Testament tells us that. And it was even necessary, says the stranger, that the Messiah would enter into his own glory. I mean, that's tacit for the, for the stranger to actually be saying it was not only necessary that the Messiah would suffer like this, it was necessary that the Messiah would be resurrected. The stranger says that. And then the stranger actually is persuasive, backs up what he has to say, and he takes them on a journey of the Old Testament, and he takes them into that Old Testament that they would hear the story uh, from Moses and the prophets in all of Scripture, that they would hear the story of this Messiah. One single story. That's what the Old Testament is. And at the end of 25 minutes, the stranger is invited to stay the night. After all, it's pretty late. But truth be told, the two disciples are riveted by what the stranger is saying. And they take him into wherever uh, home they are. We're not told. They arrive in Emmaus, and they invite the stranger to have supper. And the stranger uh, takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, gives the bread to them, and they see. And they see. It's Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't stick around. Jesus, he leaves. He, he, he's gone, uh, seemingly disappears before their very eyes. And the two disciples are so excited, they don't bed down for the night. Instead, they pack up their belongings, and they head right back the same direction that they came. Uh, another uh, 24, 25 minutes. And they go to Jerusalem, and they enter a house where the 11 disciples are. And they get something. They understand something. When they walk into the house, they say uh, what we said this morning. He is risen indeed. Luke 24 verse 33. That's where that comes from. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Now all of this, doesn't this just sound wonderful? This is a long sermon introduction, but I want us to understand that while it feels as though this would be wonderful for these two disciples, he's risen indeed, Scripture actually tells us what's going on in their hearts because that very night when they arrive in Jerusalem and when they're with the 11 disciples, Jesus himself shows up in that house. And when he comes in, well, Luke tells us what's going on in the hearts of not just these two disciples, but the 11 other disciples as well. They're startled, and they're frightened because Jesus is there. And they're troubled. Literally, they're stirred, they're confused, they're distressed, they're troubled. And not only are, are they troubled, but doubt has risen in their hearts they're beginning to debate with themselves internally. This happens while Jesus is in the house. 
And that's really important for us here Easter Sunday as we are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior that Jesus can see that they are troubled and He can see that doubts have arisen in their hearts. But I want us to hear something this morning and that is this, that the very ministry of Jesus is calibrated for the troubling and for the doubting. The very ministry of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's actually calibrated for the troubling and the doubting. Everything he does in this passage displays this. This is the very foundation of Christianity, that the Christian message is tuned to those who are troubled and doubting. The the Christian message uh, has with it something that helps those who are troubled and doubting. This Easter Sunday, I want you to know that the gospel was meant for fragile people. What this passage is about, and I want to state it quickly, the passage is telling us that the Christian message is tuned to the troubled and the doubting heart. And you're going to hear me say that this is good news for those who don't believe, and yet it's hard for those who don't believe. And I'm also going to say this is good news for those like me who do believe, but it's also hard news even for me. I just want to say three things in this passage. I want you to see that the Christian message is tuned to the trouble and doubting heart because Jesus is a patient teacher, because Jesus is honest, and because Jesus is powerful. Patience, honesty, and power. Listen to what Jesus says as he begins. He says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Jesus says to all of these disciples words that he had already said when he was with them in his earthly ministry. What that means is it means that Jesus, he's repeating himself. For three years I taught you this. Three years. And when he speaks then this very evening, on the evening in which Jesus was resurrected, he's teaching the same thing that he taught them before in his earthly ministry. When he spoke to them in his earthly ministry, he spoke to them with signs and with miracles. It would have been almost impossible to believe, or so we think, and yet here they are. They're doubting and they're troubled. And Jesus, he doesn't give them a new message. He gives them the same old message. This is exactly what I was telling you when I was with you. Do you hear how patient he is? We're told that at this time, Jesus turns to everything written about him in the Old Testament. When he was teaching them, He was using the Bible. That's what he was doing in his earthly ministry. You think that he was just showing signs and miracles. He was just doing amazing things and and it would be impossible not to believe those things. But Jesus in his ministry, he was teaching from Scripture. He was using the Bible and the miracles were testimonies to the truthfulness of Scripture. That's what Jesus was doing in his entire earthly ministry right up to his crucifixion. He was submitting himself to the Bible. Now, that means we need to stop pretending. Sometimes we tell ourselves that if Jesus would just come now and he'd uh, do a couple of tricks, perform a couple of illusions, maybe make something dead come to life, I'd believe him, and and the doubting and the trouble would go away. Well, not so for these disciples. Jesus is going back to God's Word, and he's teaching them again. Why is this so extraordinary? It's extraordinary for two reasons. The first, I want us to see how submissive Jesus is to God's written word. 
When Jesus taught the disciples in his earthly ministry, when he's teaching them this very evening after the resurrection, Jesus is himself submitting to paper, to words. Do you hear how amazing that is? Jesus, he could communicate just mind to mind in some sci-fi kind of way, and he doesn't. Takes them to the word. Something important about that word. That's one, the first reason why this is so extraordinary. The second reason this is so extraordinary is simply this. Jesus is so patient. This is what troubled hearts need. This is what doubting hearts need. Right after his resurrection, Jesus, he meets with his disciples. And he's appealing to what he's already said to them and shown them in the past. But as he's doing that, he's doing that with great patience. And then he says, now I'm going to remind you of all that I did in the past. I'm going to remind you of all those signs. And I'm going to use his evidence. I'm going to use Holy Scripture. How many times do you think Jesus needs to remind you of the story of the gospel? How many times? He's ready and he's willing. This is one of those times. Jesus is a patient teacher, but Jesus, he is also an honest teacher. You see in verse 46 that uh, Jesus, he's teaching them from the word, and he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. You see, Jesus is writing a commentary, as it were, on, script, uh, on the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus, when he says it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, do you understand that Jesus is telling a story? He's telling a story of what needed to happen. He submits to scripture again. He goes to that which has been written, overflowing with patience again. But what he does now is he is telling this story that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ were necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And as he tells the story of the Old Testament, he begins to involve us into that story. The Old Testament says that sin is the reason why Jesus had to suffer and rise again. And the Old Testament not only says that, but the Old Testament says that we are a part of that story as we listen to that story and respond to that story. Jesus connects the Bible to his death and resurrection, and he connects the Bible to our sin. He's telling us a story. He says the story was written by God in words. Thus it is written. He tells us the story is the very fabric of world history. The story encompasses everything that has ever, ever happened on this planet and in this solar system, indeed in all of the cosmos. This is God's story. And the story has Jesus at the very center. He is that Christ. The name that he uses is the name Messiah. He is the one who is anointed by God. The one who is anointed by God the Father. And the story insists that Jesus live. That he live on this created realm before God's creatures. And the story insists that Jesus must not only live, but that he must suffer. Not just on the cross, but all of his life, a life of suffering, setting aside self for the sake of God's children. And the story insists that Jesus must die. There's no other way. 
The story insists that Jesus died in such a way that his death does something amazing, that his death leads to resurrection. The Bible tells us how it is possible that a man can die and be resurrected, and the Bible says that that can only happen if the one who died satisfied God's perfect commands. If he lives perfectly, he will have life. And the story insists that Jesus would live perfectly and in his death satisfy God and therefore be resurrected. And the story insists that what Jesus does accounts for widespread sin, the sin that reaches even into the nations of the world. That sin is addressed by the death of Jesus. This is why I want us to see that Jesus is an honest teacher. The story must be told. And he tells the story. And he tells the story to these individuals a second time, patiently. But he's telling it honestly. These disciples have heard and repented. They've placed their troubled hearts, their doubting hearts in the hands of their King and Savior. They know His death and His resurrection is God's story that accounts for my sin. They know that. The resurrected life that Jesus has is their own resurrected life. And the honesty is this. That which you know, disciples, you need to proclaim to others because the story is as yet unfinished. It is real, and it is still going on, and it must be proclaimed. And praise be to God that these disciples understand that the Christian message is tuned to the troubled and the doubting heart. It's good news for them, but it's good news for those who don't believe. They go out into the world, and they know that this story is tuned to those who don't want to believe. But the story is also hard for those in the world. And Jesus is a patient teacher, and he's tuned the message of the gospel to troubled and doubting hearts, but the message itself is still hard. You are a sinner in need of God's grace. That's what this message says. And your reply is to see yourself in this story, to repent, to be ushered into the life that he now has and that he bestows on you. You're part of the story, whether you repent or not. But this Jesus, he speaks to your troubled heart. And he knows how to counter all of your doubts. And the response that you're to make is to repent. Now, I want us to finish, though, with this. And I want to finish by addressing my brothers and sisters this Christian message is tuned to troubling and doubting hearts, but that also includes our own hearts. Because not only is Jesus patient and not only is Jesus honest, but Jesus, he's powerful. And I want us to consider the power of Jesus at work in this passage. You see what he does in verse 45? Who's in the room? Who's in the room? They're the followers of Jesus. The 11 minus Judas Iscariot, and then those two uh, who were proclaiming the gospel message as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're believers, and yet look what Jesus does. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? How provocative we should hear that as Christians. 
We see the work of Jesus, his power to uh, open minds. He's opening the minds of those who profess faith in him. And yet he's told us in this passage that those who profess faith in him already are troubled and doubting. Praise be to God that he'd open their minds. The scripture is accompanied by power. And when Jesus says in verse 47 that this is a message that needs to be proclaimed, he's reminding them where the power of that message is. It's not in your proclamation. It's not in my proclamation. It's not in the proclamation of any disciple. The power of that word that's being proclaimed is in his name. You see that in verse 47. You see, the Christian message is tuned to the troubled and the doubting heart because it's accompanied by power. And this is good news for those who don't believe, and it's hard news for those who don't believe, because the Word tells them that they are sinners. But this is good news for us as well, because as we go out into the world proclaiming the gospel, uh, that proclamation doesn't depend upon our strength. It's God's Spirit that's accompanying that proclamation of the gospel. We need to be careful that the Word that we proclaim is the Word of Scripture, And we need to know that Jesus teaches us patiently and that he'll teach the hearers patiently. But we also need to know that that word, it is accompanied by God's power. And he is the one who is ultimately the evangelist. You see, isn't that good news for those who profess faith in Jesus? It removes uh, so many fears and worries about telling others about Jesus. But it's good news in another way. How are you feeling this morning about the resurrection of Jesus. Did you arrive this morning with a troubled heart? Did you arrive this morning with a doubting heart? Christians, we need to understand that we do feel this as believers. We do feel this. We live in a world in which the patterns of the world threaten threaten our conformity. We live in a world in which we carry into all of our relationships our own indwelling sin. That won't always be the case, but it is now. And we live in a world in which, uh, for God's own glory, he's given Satan um, a kind of reign that he can powerfully harass us. Of course, as Christians, we would experience trouble and doubt, but this is the good news. Our Jesus is such a patient teacher. And our Jesus, he doesn't hold anything back. He tells us like it is. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And then finally this, our Jesus, he works in us by his power. That in his resurrected life, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, but also ministering to us our troubled and doubting hearts. The Christian message, it's tuned for troubled and doubting hearts. And I just want to address us as brothers and sisters. That is very good news. He is risen. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Father, would you sweep up into your story our troubled and doubting hearts? Would you nurse us and care for us by your power? 
And would you fill us with hope for that day when Jesus returns and all trouble and all doubt will be dissolved. Be with us, Father, in the power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.